What's up, everybody? Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. With Theology in the Dirt, we make it our aim to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our cities, and our world. We're glad you're listening. And by the way, that is Twisted Sister. Oh, come on, you faithful. Just what you were hoping to hear this morning, I'm sure. <laughs> Listen, that album, Twisted Christmas, is insanely amazing. It's so good. And I know you want to go find that on your Amazon Prime Music or some other method of listening to that song, Oh, Come All You Faithful by Twisted Sister. Enjoy to the glory of God. After Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) I did that on purpose to see if I could evoke another emotive response from Brittany, particularly, and see if Brittany will listen in and text me later on. Probably. (laughs) Although, ironically, I've had to been listening and playing Christmas music because I've got to do some a big performance and stuff coming up, so I've had to get into it a little bit early. I appreciated you taking the time to take your amazing song from the last episode and put it up on the Tickety Talk and the Insta Chat and the Facebook. Yeah. Well done, man. Are you getting some good responses from that? Uh, it seems like people are enjoying it, so we'll see. Maybe it'll go viral. The song is absolutely astoundingly amazing, and I'm a fan. And so if you haven't listened to Chris Hayes' Productions, you should go listen to his amazing song from last week. Yeah. It's TikTok, awesome. YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. It's on them all. Absolutely. Can't be on Twitter yet because unless I pay for blue, I can't put longer videos on yet. Eight dollars a month. Not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. Well, hey, let's get to some breaking news. Man, I have to tell you, every time I hear the breaking news, I think I'm Dan Rather. I don't want to be Dan Rather. He's a he's a lefty, but I think myself of being some kind of news anchor, and I'm about to break into some Brett Bear level news, and I'm not. But right, I have some news today, though. Okay, um, <clears throat> this is on Representative or Senator uh, Susan Collins' website. She's a Democrat. Um. Susan Collins, a Democrat, uh, let's see, actually Tammy Baldwin, Democrat, Wisconsin, and Susan Collins, she's a Republican from Maine. So it's Baldwin Collins yesterday, or the day before yesterday, uh, was able to get through their their bill, um, uh, or actually it was the uh, Respect for Marriage Act legislation by a vote of 62 to 37. And this bill not still has to be finally voted on by the Senate, but this bill recognizes um, marriage as being particularly it, it promises to guarantee the rights of marriage for same sex couples and, and interracial marriages. Now, if you're not aware of this, you should go read it. Um, you should look it up. It's called the Respect for Marriage Act. Um, as a Christian, we affirm that God defines marriage, not the state. We affirm that um, marriage is God's design, not the state's design. We affirm with science that the only means of procreation is between male and female, that biologically it's indisputable, Mm -hmm. and that same-sex marriage is, regardless of what you stamp it, what you say about it, is not marriage and and cannot lead to the function and purpose of marriage, which is to glorify God and filling the earth and subduing the earth um, biologically. Um, I know that's offensive to a lot of people, but that's just... It, we talk about follow the science until the science doesn't match our ideology and then throw science to the wind. Uh, so that's a problem. The second part of this I really find most offensive, and that is to equate interracial marriage with same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. This is a problem because what this is doing is ideologically saying to the world that race and sexual orientation are biological predetermined realities. And A, science does not bear that out. B, in all other things, that's offensive and questionable. Um, The idea that interracial marriage has to be protected the same as two people of the same sex, um, is, should be offensive to interracial couples, uh, and it should be 
absolutely categorically denied. But this is this is what's happening in the United States Senate. It's called the uh, Respect for Marriage Act. So if you hadn't read that, you should go check it out and uh, Google it. You'll find it and uh, read up on it and be aware that that's how in the United States of America we are moving toward defining marriage. Yeah, I think there was a movement not too long ago of like that. In fact, the tagline of this movement was gay is the new black. And I just remember being, I was like, I'm offended for my black friends for this. Right. It's a terrible comparison. It, 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 you know, they're trying to kind of blur and gray that line to make it more acceptable by pulling in interracial right. marriage as the same. And it's just, it's That's disgusting. Right. I remember, God, it's been a long time ago. <clears throat> We had, uh, when I was teaching and professoring, I had Vody Bauckham into Rome, Georgia, to speak at an event we held. And I required all my students to be there and write a paper on, on what Vody spoke on. Now, I want everybody listening to, I want to understand, just because I have somebody in to speak does not mean that I agree with everything they propose. There are a lot of things Vody believes I don't believe. There's good debate between Christians. So I'm not in the Vody Bauckham camp on everything Vody believes, just not. But he is a good scholar. He is well-read. Um, he clearly believes what he believes, and uh, and and I I respect him, even though I disagree with him on some things. He did, he would disagree with me on some things, and that's okay. We can love each other and disagree. But Vody said this was ten years ago. Do you remember this, Chris? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, at, was there. We had it at Berry College. Vody said this is coming, and he said he wanted to write a book, "Gay as a New Black." He saw this. He foresaw this, and the trend of things. And I remember going, "Holy cow! There's really." That's going to come, and lo and stinking behold, yeah. when I read this, I was like, Bodie was right. He was 100% right. And so, um, and he gave all the reasons why this yeah. should be refuted. And, and that was a gold moment. And folks who were here and remember that, just remember he was right about that. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that's my news. And so, you guys are welcome to go check that out. Uh, but that's my take on it from my perspective as a Christian. Yeah, so before I get to my news, there was one thing I just felt like I had to mention this morning because just, it just blew me away. So Taylor Swift tickets went on sale for her tour. She had the tour in like four or five years, I think. Okay. And, and I mean, she's popular, right? Well, she broke Ticketmaster. Like, There's been all <laughs> kind of issues. So guess what? So she's coming to Atlanta, I think, in April, I believe. The The price range for tickets on the secondary market right now, StubHub, the cheapest ticket is around $650 for like the worst seat in the room. Wow. Do you want to take a guess at what the highest, and again, this is what somebody listed it for, but it's not the highest in all of her tour tickets right now, but for the Atlanta concert. Can I take a guess? Take a guess. I, I haven't looked. I haven't looked. I'm just going to like, worst seat, 600 and something bucks, best seat, I'm going to say $10,000. $89,000 for a ticket <laughs> to a Taylor Swift concert. Do you know what I could do with eighty nine thousand? Now this is what it's listed for. I don't know if it's there's another one for like ninety four thousand for one of her other tour stops, right? On StubHub, I could fix all the things wrong with my house. Yes, for eighty nine thousand, I should be able to rent her for a year to play in my room as my alarm clock and wake me up in the morning (laughs) to you know shake it off or something like, or I better be like on the stage with her. You know, eighty nine dollars. I know people have stupid money, but anyway, that's just I just had to share that. Cause that was just mind boggling. That is. It's not that Taylor Swift's not talented, or her no. concert wouldn't be great, but very I just, talented. I can't imagine spending that anywhere. I can't imagine spending over a thousand dollars for a three hour yeah. concert. But Absolutely, that's insane. Anyway, real quickly, the world's population passed eight billion people this week, and I thought that was pretty newsworthy. Um, wow. So the crazy part is just over 200 years ago. So in 1804, there were less than 1 billion people in the world. And then it took over a century later, 1927, is when we crossed the 2 billion people mark. All right. It's only been 11 years since we crossed 7 billion. So we've, we've, we've grown by a billion people in 11 years. Wow. That's some Isn't exponential, that <laughs> insanely amazing growth. So – through I mean, a lot of this modern medicine and the advancement of like public health and, and healthcare and those kinds of things. Um, interestingly enough, the growth rate in world powers like China and the United States has actually started to slow a little bit and looks like it's going to continue to slow, but it's the growth in um, like in those, those lower income and poor nations, the birth rates continuing to rise and is putting a strain on those systems, which are already kind of strained as it is. According to the UN, about 70% of the growth 
to eight billion from seven billion happened in low and lower middle income countries, most of which in the sub Saharan Africa region. Wow. Next year, by July of next year, India is expected to pass China as the world's most populous country. Insane. Which is it, it's significantly smaller. And, I mean, it's big, but it's compared to China right. in landmass. And then the UN is hoping that slowing birth rates will continue to mitigate this major concern they have that this the unsustainable consumption rate, you know, consumption of fuels and natural elements and, of course, you know, food and and. Other resources, uh, climate control, all those kind of things are major concerns right now. But it's interesting that I, w- yeah, I would think China and America would be like continuing to skyrocket, but it looks like those are actually slowing a bit. That's very interesting. Because, <clears throat> you know, you get a lot of, I mean, you can get into some interesting takes people have around the world in regard to population and Earth being overpopulated. And um, what I find interesting is um, when I'm in India, where we go to spend some time. Uh, I'm on a motorcycle for 12 hours with the exception of about a total of maybe 10 minutes of that ride through towns along the way, nothing but dirt and mountains and streams of water coming off the Himalayas. And I think there's a lot of room for people to live and cultivate and people gather in cities that are already established because there are resources there. And I, and I think in terms of human ingenuity, what is available that can be done in these places if people just migrated out? Yeah. Right. Cause you think of, you think of the garden, fill the earth, multiply and subdue it. So man's multiplying. There's plenty of places on the face of the planet to get resources, but you find poverty seems to exponentially increase when people populate a single area and resources are scarce. And I think what's interesting is resources aren't scarce out but the ingenuity and education to go take advantage of that is lacking. Yeah. And so what would happen if people were taught how to explore and tame and make something out of the resources that are there? Because, man, I'm telling you, there's those Himalaya mountains are full of yeah. resources. There's dirt. Dirt grows things. You have water and dirt, and you have some seeds. You can grow stuff. You have animals you can raise. And watching these people, these remote villages who've been living for thousands of years, thriving, it's where we drink our yak butter tea, thinking more people could do that. Right. And find a life of plenty and abundance. And I think that's, that's so, and the earth can sustain it. You can, yeah. Completely sustain it. And that's fascinating, though, the exponential increase, which is probably going to force people out to those areas at some point. Right. Well, and India is not, any different than a lot of other places where there's a lot of right. land that's uninhabited or very minimalistically inhabited. Right. Like, so there's still, now there's some places that there just aren't resources and you can't live some like Siberia and some of those places it would be difficult to right. cultivate, but you're right. There's plenty of rich areas uncultivated because of that lack of education, lack of training, lack of people who have the education and training and resources going to that. Yeah. And that, that continues to spread the gap between rich and poor. Yeah, and so the only so then it becomes survival mode. The only way I can survive is to have ten people in a you know ten by ten room, some places right. just to even get by to live, to have clean water, to have access to the market and things like that. Insane, dude. That's some good news. But you know what time it is? Big voice. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have. Your attention, please. It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, Thank you, big boys. We appreciate you introducing today's topic. Chris and I decided we wanted to do another top five, but this was probably going to be not as light and airy as reasons to celebrate Christmas before or after Thanksgiving. And this was going to be some top five from each of us on lessons, things we've picked up from the pandemic or post-pandemic. So this one may be a little heavier. I told Chris earlier, mine's, mine's not fluffy. Some of it's just personal experience, things we experience as parents. Um 
uh, in church work in our city, working public public sphere, public domains of society. And so we're going to talk about today lessons from the pandemic and post-pandemic. We're going to give our top five. And so uh, I'll go first. I'll give you my number one. I'm going to try not to be long with these two because each one of these could be like a show. For sure. And themselves and probably be worth circling back to talk about at some point. But here's my number one. The first thing I've, I've learned because I, I've experienced it is mental and emotional health was already at a tipping point. And the pandemic is what pushed it over the edge. Um, what I have found is and what we see and what people are seeing is the exponential increase in people needing mental and emotional health care. And my hunch is it was already there. I think the pace of life, the use of digital technology, the inability to think and process our emotions because of the exponential increase in various digital platforms, um, uh, the exponential uh, exposure to uh, difficult things that uh, was ha- that was happening in prosperous areas under darkness. People were already at a tipping point. The isolation, the confusion about what to believe, and the polarization of ideologies just caused the pot to tip over. And so lesson I've learned is mental and emotional health are um, vital to biological thriving. In fact, fuel the thriving of our biology. And so I would say lesson from pandemic for me was that the care of mental and emotional state of people is more important um, than we ever gave it credit for. And we're just now reaping the fruit of not caring for it. And my hunch is we're not finished. It may actually be become more um, pronounced before we see it get better. And until we provide the right kind of mental and emotional health, for people to get well. Yeah. For our listeners, we didn't compare notes or give each other our top fives beforehand, but actually one of my five is almost the same thing. I, I literally wrote my, we need to value mental, emotional health as much as we do physical health. Um, and it's certainly understandable that physical health was the primary focus during the pandemic. Cause it's a, a disease. Right. right. Um, but I think one of the byproducts of COVID was the ravaging of people's mental, emotional health. And I'm hopeful that this has come to light much more and has taken is taken more seriously, especially within the church than it used to be. Um, I feel like our our minds and emotions have significantly more to deal with than humans did even like twenty years ago, much less fifty or seventy five years ago. There's just much more to process, much heavier things um, to deal with than we have ever dealt with before. And COVID kind of not only brought that to light, but like you said, kind of just spilled it over. It, it was you know shined the light on it and was like, no, everyone's dealing with this. And everyone deals with it in different ways. Um, you know, we talked a lot about this in numerous recent episodes, so don't plan to unhash it all now. Um, but I do think it's vital we take it seriously, that we're aware of our own mental and emotional health status and our needs, and then we look out for those around us. Um, and I'm just kind of just a reminder, be intentional, show empathy, seek to encourage others more. Because uh, there's a lot of people that aren't okay. There are a lot of people that still aren't okay. Um Mental, emotional health is not something I've dealt with a lot of struggles in my life, but COVID definitely caused a lot of that. Yeah. Just, and, and I'll get into reasons why later, but uh, I think we all had some sort of impact emotionally and mentally from COVID, whether it's during or we're still dealing with it now. And we've got to take it more seriously. And I think, especially in the church, um, we've yeah. got to look at that as something that's a serious need and people need help. Yeah. I, I think uh, the reality is, um, We've misused the Bible um, in a lot of ways and used it as a tool to ignore the discovery of reality in God's created order. Uh, and our, our mentality is that if there's not a chapter and verse in the Bible about it, uh, it can't be true. <clears throat> and that's the solo scriptura versus sola scriptura mentality. And what we, re- what we discover is, is that the human being is a complex network of systems Mm -hmm. because God is Trinity and everything he created is made in the Trinitarian image of God, humans particularly. We're a system uh, of multiple mental and biological processes. It's a complex system. And I'm convinced the mental and emotional system affects the biology, the physical. And I think there's a lot of things that happen physically with us that we treat poorly because we have yet to realize that the mental processes affect the physical. Mm-hmm. 
And it's easy to throw a pill at that rather than diving into those unseen systems and wrestling through the discomfort of them. And, uh, and, and the pandemic and post-pandemic have revealed that that's a reality. Yeah, last note real here is, so my, you know, my grandmother, I have one living grandparent, and um, she's 93, but a couple years ago, actually around close to Christmas time, my parents were considering pulling her out of assisted living home. Um, this was during COVID. They were, I mean, they couldn't even get, like, their mail without it being, like, people couldn't go inside to visit, because um, obviously the danger of COVID for elderly people was significantly higher. And so my parents were like, what do you think? And I was like, to me, and my grandmother's super social and everything, I told him, I said, I worry much more about her mental health stability yep. through this than I do about her getting COVID and the effects of that. Yep. And because being in isolation, especially in a place like that, where you're limited, you're you're dependent on people. You know, they, Like for her to even go to like a doctor's appointment, she had to quarantine alone for several days before, and then when she got back immediately – quarantine again mm-hmm. for I think almost like two weeks for a while. And I, and she had like five or six appointments in that time frame. And then they tested every time, you know, they're shoving that, st- that stick yeah. up the nose. And so, yeah, it's just, th- we, we got to stop separating the physical health needs with mental and emotional health. Yeah, that's right. The, the, yeah, absolutely. That, well, that leads me, uh, well, go ahead. I, I want you to give you, give one cause that almost bleeds into my second, but go ahead and give us a, Give us one of yours. Uh, sure, yeah. So another one of mine is um, lessons learned from the pandemic. Good leaders rise to the top during difficult times. Mm. Uh, it was abundantly clear to me during the pandemic that great leaders were rising to the occasion. They poured into their people. They invested hard and inspired. They were selfless and led by example. Uh, they sacrificed for their teams. But on the flip side, I also saw poor leaders show their selfishness, struggle to be a team player, um, fail to put their people first, and um, – you know, during a crisis, people look to leadership to their, take their cues from. And, and and I want to be clear, you know, not all – this is more like on the business side of things and things like that. But, um, you know, leaders who were not in a place of – to be able to lead, that's different. I'm talking about people that, mm-hmm. you know, you can – you typically see who is a good leader and who's not when you come to these crisis moments. And um, people depend on someone to navigate those choppy waters, to stand strong uh, in the face of uncertainty – while standing strong, also having that the capacity to empathize with their people of and, and making it understanding the realism of it too. There's one thing to be strong during tough times, but not to fake it either. Does that that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. to be able to have that mental fortitude while also going, "Hey, I know this is hard, right?" And I and I see what you're doing. I see your hard work through this, and so it just it really was empowering and 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 very obvious to me that various levels of leadership through businesses, through uh, churches, through different things. And um, that really stood out to me. And it's uh, something that we need to be mindful of is because the likelihood of us having another similar pandemic or something right. is, seems like it's pretty possible at, at some point in time. And Absolutely. Yeah. So. And, and, and who knows the, the other crises that can evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the other day, um, the Ukrainian president, and the misinformation of about a missile strike on Poland uh, from Russia triggering a NATO response. Like we, I'm not sure everybody knows how close we were to World War III. Yeah, and that, that's not an overstatement. We're talking about at G20, the NATO nation skipping dinner and the big G20 stuff to sit around and discuss and find information because. A missile strike on Poland from Russia requires, according to the articles of NATO's agreement, a response. Mm-hmm. You're going to start a land war with Russia? What's Russia going to do? Right? I mean, we're that yeah. close. And so what happens if Putin decides, okay, you start, a, you strike us, and he presses the red button. Right. You're talking about a, a serious emergency, right? And so what if that happens, right? And so you're talking about not just a virus, but you're talking about an unstable world, China, Taiwan. So what's going to happen? And so, yeah, the pandemic's yeah. going to, it has post-pandemic life is uh, is creating an awful lot of situations where uh, we may have to lead through very hard times. 
Well, it was difficult too. That's why it's more impressive the good leaders that were rising is you're dealing with so much information, some correct, some misinformation. Right. You're trying to process all that you're, and you have, you know, good leaders adapt to the situations, but they also are wise in their decision making not to base that off of misinformation. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, um, you know, that's good. you got to care about your culture and got to care about your people. That's good. Uh, my number two uh, is isolation in many cases was more deadly. This is back to your grandmother than the virus uh, and the, revealing the fact that human need for other humans is absolutely biologically significant. So in a lot of cases, the isolation and, and, and it's not to say the virus didn't kill people. The virus killed people. But in a lot of cases, the isolation was more deadly than the virus. Yeah, this well, here we go again. Another one that I have a similar one for. Um, so I'll just kind of go into that instead of explaining it twice. Uh, I put, we were made for community, not isolation. Uh, and I, I think we've all known this and we've preached this many times, but it hit a new level during COVID. I remember our small group disbanded right before COVID hit, maybe a month or two. And we were already struggling with that because um, it just meant so much to us, you know, and being in a different city at our church, like having a, small group in that area was so important and people that we did life with and had loved and been around for years. And then when COVID hit, um, especially me being like an extrovert, like this was difficult. It's, I mean, we're even who people who are introverts at some point, you still need to be around people like isolation after a while is difficult. Right. But um, especially for those of us who are extroverted, who love being around people who get our energy and get our fuel from being people. Now I, I was grateful to still have a job at the time. I was still working. I was still around people. But it was different, you know, because we weren't able to meet as a church. We didn't have that church family, didn't have that small group connection going on still uh, like others did. And and I love my family. I love being at home. Like, those are great things. But we're just not meant to, to be in that isolation. We weren't created for that. And I think and I think that ties in with the mental health thing, too, because isolation just it breeds a lot of those issues. Um, right. We saw, I mean, a lot of marriages really struggled because they, they weren't built strong enough to be able to last that much time being together. I know I spent a lot of time worrying, you know, spent right. over a decade in child welfare. I'm like, these kids aren't going to school and the school is oftentimes either the only safe place they have right. or the only place who's going to report anything. And so while the numbers may not have gone up on paper, we know that there was a lot going on in homes because, and in people dealing with the stress of losing jobs right. or not being able to cohabitate well with all that extra time together pouring that out on their kids. And so there's just so many things that that created. Yeah. We're, we're seeing the fruit of that now uh, in our public education system. Um, teacher after teacher, personal relationships we have with teachers. Your wife is a teacher. My wife is a counselor in a, in the public school system. Um, seeing the overflow, the fruit of that isolation is just beginning to come out Yeah, and the behavior in the classroom and the body working out the emotional, the effects of emotional isolation, as well as like the situation where they need to come to school for safety, they couldn't come to school. So they were constantly involved in unhealthy situations that just did further damage. So that isolation was devastating, absolutely yeah. devastating. And so, uh, absolutely. So what's your next one? So my next one is kind of an obvious one it's not really a lesson that we necessarily learned that was new but i think it's important and it's simply we're not in control mm-hmm. um i think that was just reminded that was just to put in my heart and my brain so often you know, we had regulations thrust upon us many people lost their jobs or many people had their jobs changed social connection just kind of stopped or it was at least severely slowed at best people got sick people died uh, we were given tons of unreliable information from way too many sources that led to lack of trust in people who should have been quote unquote experts. Um, also there's a huge lack of uncertainty that comes with that just all around in every aspect of life. Uh, but the Lord was not taken aback. He didn't desert or leave mm. us. He remained steady, calm the storms. Uh, and I think for all of us, our faith was at least tested if not shaken. Yeah. But I feel like throughout that chaos and uncertainty, um, hopefully we learned the king is still in control and that we need to be reminded of our utter dependence on him in those moments. And so I'm hoping that's a lesson that if you didn't learn that you at least can take from today is never, never are we in control, but that's actually a good thing. Yeah, that's right, man. That's solid to find 
uh, the human wrestle um, against God uh, is is a devastating match, mm-hmm. um, and to submit to and follow is so much better. Um, and, and and for the rest of the world who does not doesn't have the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, um, that's a devastating fight. Yeah, but without be- that hope of assurance. Yeah, but to believe that we're not in control, but we are in the hands of a good father. And the way we, the way that we get under the good that he has for us is to come to him by faith in Jesus. And then there's that promise that we don't have to be in control, but we do have access to a father who is in control who will only do us good. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's the, one of the great hopes of the, the Christian faith is we're not in control, but God is. Yeah. And we get his good when we come under under the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and to know we're not in control is a helpful thing for us. That can be devastating news for someone who's not. 100%. You know, so there is motivation in that to see and hear the gospel. Yeah. Um, my third, um, I want to preface this by saying I was a teacher for 10 years, uh, your wife's an educator. Some of our best friends are educators. My wife is in education, so this is not a wholesale beatdown of educators. <laughs> so hear that, educators. Um, but education at the middle and high school level, I think, has been uncovered uh, or has evolved into primarily testing administrative function, not the teaching of knowledge and critical thinking. When school shut down, everything went digital. Things were already Google Classroom, um, but things went totally digital. And what we've discovered as parents it, of, of during that time, all high school students, um, what we found is that those kids who are not wired for um, that type of learning struggle the most. If you have a tactile learner, a person who learns with their hands, they learn by doing not by sitting in front of a keyboard and a screen, their critical thinking, their ability to learn, and even their administrative function absolutely died. Mm -hmm. And so what has happened with the digital education world is it no longer tests critical thinking or teaches critical thinking. It merely tests administrative function. And administrative function is a great thing to have, but it's not the basis of education. Because right now with the digital online platform and state-mandated tests, there's no such thing as having to learn or critically think. We teach them to use resources and go find answers. Well, guess what? All the answers to all the questions are already out there on the Internet, so you don't have to learn anything. You just get online, copy and paste answers, which we used to call cheating. Now it's called using your resources. And that's not teaching anything And what it's done is really separate the excellent teachers who teach and get involved personally and have a personal relationship with a student from someone who's really just kind of lazy and sits back and puts content out and grades administrative function. And what we found in a household full of boys uh, who are predominantly wired tactically in tactile learning fashion, education has been zero. The goal has just been to get out. Let's get out get done and move on. And education, I think, is taking a hit, pandemic and post-pandemic. And I think it's revealing the lack in digital platforms at actually educating our kids. Well, yeah, because the, the the power of education is in the process, not the result. Typically, if the process is well, you'll yes. get good results. But it's the reason why right. people who, just, who struggle in a test-taking format, it goes back to our, our discussion about standardized tests being – just a terrible way to assess intelligence. Um, and right. and I think to kind of expand on that a little bit, that goes even beyond the classroom. First off, yeah, Brittany, she's really struggled with having to try to do that online because she, number one, she doesn't learn well that way. She's doing her, you know, she's done the online learning herself and can do it, but her teaching methods are so focused on being in the classroom connecting with kids and i think this kind of goes into other parts of life there's telehealth is a great thing and the advancement of that has been huge but there's but it's limited highly right. like if you know if i've got a broken leg you telehealthing me <laughs> through the computer screen is not going to help me right with my broken leg um 
And I think for the church, there's a, and we talked about this before in another episode, there's a big impact here too is you know the advancement of live streaming and and being able to have those things is a is a plus it's a re- great resource but we also learned you can't do church online from home right. in the same manner and the way it's intended to be like i can listen to a sermon i can listen to music and that's not to say it's it's again not a bad thing but that can't be the the overall consumption yeah. and, and engagement piece because you're missing out on a yeah. lot of the major points of it. Yeah, the live stream is now the front door, like the website used to be the front door. Yeah. It's the advertisement, and and but it's not the sum total. Yeah. And 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 digital is proving that because of the isolation component, you have to have human relationships to learn. Mm-hmm. And and I think our teachers who really know that, and I'm I'm convinced it's because I have a Christian framework of thinking they understand the holistic nature of humans which is why our teachers and our church care so much and have these discussions about how hard it is because they're trying to physically engage as well as just get the content out because the process is as vital as the end and i think uh i think we're a cross point uh in public education yeah i really think we are yeah, I mean, we we preached distancing for years for the for last couple of years, right. which is you know anti real education. <laughs> you can't right. do it well at that at the at the level of right. elementary, middle, high school very well. Right, that's exactly right. All right, uh, give me another one, man. I got one left. You have two left. I have two left. Yeah, because ours overlapped a little bit. They so, did. Yeah. All right. So Why don't you go ahead? You go my last one. Yeah. Give you give okay. me your last one. And I I can I think that my next two really turn into one. Gotcha. Okay. So my last one is kindness and gratitude should be the norm, not the exception. Uh, one thing I realized during COVID is that despite separation and differing of opinions and things, and and there was still a lot of divisiveness and division. Don't get me wrong, but it also seemed to be this unifying nature during the mm-hmm. pandemic where. Mm-hmm. We saw this outpouring of kindness to others. Uh, we saw it through uh, restaurants. We saw it through lots of different businesses and churches and, and organizations. And we see this during natural disasters, right? Uh, a terrible hurricane or tornado hits, and we rally together. We unify over that common need. Um, we do it over catastrophes or, or school shootings or, or bad accidents. And so, But I feel like we've got to stop waiting for these very serious you know, acts of whatever catastrophe and, and disasters to start being kind more often. Right. And we're in a world now where there's so much negativity. There's so much, so many keyboard warriors because you can do so much now from your fingertips uh, to hurt others. We've got to have a stronger effort of kindness and that becoming the norm, not the exception. And I think the same thing is true for gratitude. I think a lot of people who really came out of the pandemic on a positive note is a lot of that's because of they were grateful for what they had. They were, they had this awareness of I'm, di- I'm gl- so glad I have my family or I have, and not everyone had stuff to be grateful for. Uh, I realized that, but this, this feeling of gratitude. Um, yeah. Just imagine if, if we were more grateful for things instead of more selfish or more wanting of stuff. Mm, that's good. And, and I wish the, if we could find a way for those things to be the norm and to be the regular, when we get to these points of a pandemic or uncertainty or chaos, it's going to be much easier to navigate those waters together. And that's good. I'm convinced kindness uh, is the fruit of good mental health in which we rather than polarized and, and um, lobbing ideological, ideological rocks at each other. We have a spirit of curiosity because curiosity and calm leads to discovery and discovery leads, I'm convinced, eventually leads to kindness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may find in our curiosity we're diametrically opposed to someone. But if we're curious, we will learn them and we learn how, to the, how they came to their conclusion and we can be kind. And, 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 I'm, and, and ideological warfare um, leads to bitterness and hatred. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced... Uh, the only way to get to that kindness is a, is is with a Christian framework of valuing the other person is creating the image of God and being curious about how did you get there. And we can be curious about that. We can have real dialogue. And it's hard to hate someone that you get to know personally. Yeah. And then you find kindness. You're like I, there are people that 
we work with in the public square that ideologically, politically, we could not be more opposed. Mm -hmm. But those are the people who want me in their circle. They want Jesus in their circle. And I'm absolutely floored because my presuppositions used to tell me they didn't want Jesus. But what I found is they want Jesus. And what I found is the more I engage with them, the more I learn their lives and I love them and respect them and disagree with them on some things, but they're the ones who want me in. And what I found is kindness in that relationship births partnership where I then have the ability to speak and they listen, they speak and I listen and kindness is happening there. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, I would have seen their political ideology as rancid. And what I found in curiosity and invitation is love, disagreement, but kindness so kindness yeah. is in short supply. It is. And as Christians, we've got to be the leading force. We Christians should never be outkinded by non-Christians because mm-hmm. of the hope we have, because of the Savior we have and the life we have and the things to look forward to. We should never be outkinded. And right now, that don't know that that's always happening. Right. And that's got to be a, a paradigm shift. Um people aren't going to come to your church if you're not kind. That's right. You know? But the nice thing about kindness is it can be universal. You don't have to be a Christian to be kind. That's right. It, it doesn't take, you know, I think at Martin Luther King, and I may butcher this, but I think one of his quotes was, uh, you know, I choose love because hate is too great a burden to bear. Mm. And I think that's true. I think it's, I think it's harder to maintain a, a level of hate mm. than it is to practice kindness and love. That's a good word, and that's that's actually true. Yeah. I'm, I'm experiencing that to be actually. There are scientific, biological, right, like proof to that. Yeah. Chris, that's not in the Bible. Don't say that. That can't be Christian. Just kidding. Yeah. Just give that sarcasm. 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 Sarcasm alert. Sarcasm alert. But dude, that is so true. Absolutely yeah. true. So, Chris, we we overlapped, which is awesome. One of the things I love about our conversation is we prepare. And then come in here and we find we overlap, which I think is fascinating. And so you had five, but they overlap. So you're finished. I'm going to give you my last two combined. Let's go. Um, they both have to do with the church. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them written down and I'm going to try to read them and, and mash them up. The Western church's growth has been shown to be the work of marketing a better product to a minority of the population rather than the fruit of real evangelism. That's a mouthful. And as a result, the downturn in church attendance is an accurate reflection of the fact that we haven't done real evangelism, but in fact have only marketed to a Christian population who wants a Christian product. Those are two mashed up. And so what we've seen as a result of the pandemic is the downturn in attendance, is the fruit off of us just being good marketers of Christian wares to a very small piece of the population. And that makes me sad. Yeah. And so the truth of the matter is we do not do evangelism well because we're not in the public square, because we don't have these kind of conversations in the public square, because we're not kind, and because to some degree, I wonder whether or not we even know how to have a gospel conversation with people who don't already have some concept of the gospel and are already connected to a local church. Because the truth of the matter is, most all of Western church growth is the swapping of members from one church to another for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, in our county, the majority of our county is unaffected by the gospel and the people who are in the church just simply moved from church to church over a period of time. And so the pandemic has pulled the cover back on that. And what we're left with is darkness and difficulty. And most Christians don't want to engage that and don't have a framework for sharing the gospel with people that they're ideologically opposed to. Yeah. We've, you know, the pandemic has done a lot for that. I think, you know, we, we, Everything in our culture and our society is about convenience, and now we've basically door dashed the church in yep. a lot of places. It's yep. hey, it's much more convenient to stay home, and the other reason for that, besides convenience, I think is also we don't Sabbath well, and you you talk about this a lot, and I appreciate that because when you don't Sabbath well, then we take Sunday morning to become the rest day, 
anyway, I, I'm just going to skip church. And, and again, there are times where that's probably necessary. Sure. People are sick. Don't come to church if you're sick. Those kinds of things. And that's where the benefit of having the online is there. If you're sick and can't right. come, we don't want you to come make other people sick to be there. Right. But when we've, we've made that a crutch as yeah. well. Yeah. And yeah. we don't engage with people anymore because, and we have Zoom, and Zoom is a great tool and a resource, but it's not the same as sitting and breaking bread with someone in person and that's having right. real conversations. That's right. And, and, and what we have to begin to do is recognize the Sunday event is vital, but the Sunday event is only a portion of the local church's work. We say at KDSC, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ and his reign is the most incredible, powerful news on the face of the planet. That's why it's called good news. And it makes salvation available to everyone who will believe in, in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus as the eternal son of God. That makes disciples um, who believe that message, who are then sent on mission but where are they sent on mission to? Not to go attend a Sunday gathering. Sunday gathering is the launching point. It's it's the it's the launching pad. It's it's where the rocket shoots off from. It's where the fueling and equipping happens. But they're launched into their vocational domains of society where they are lights in darkness. And it's there that they are to share this good news, to have these gospel conversations, to do basic apologetic. And here's the deal, you don't need a class for that. You don't need a college course on defending the gospel. You, you don't defend a lion, you unleash the lion. That, that's just the way it is. Like That doesn't mean you can't go read a book and figure out how to talk about God to an atheist. By all means, go do that. But you need a course on that. Just unleash the gospel. Tell the good news of the kingdom. It will work by itself because it's supernatural. And when we get that in our heads, we'll start having gospel conversations in our domains of society. And while there, Jesus then, we don't have to build the church. It's not our task. The mission of the local church isn't to build itself. Jesus said, I will build my church. Just unleash the gospel. And Jesus supernaturally saves people. And so if we will do that and focus our energies on that as opposed to having better Sunday morning worship services, Better audio visual, better sound. It doesn't mean you shouldn't. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do good things, but it means the predominant part of our energy should be in sharing the good news in our cities and our towns. Because when somebody's transformed for the gospel, they don't care about the flash. They care about the fellowship, the kindness, the acceptance, and the mission together. That's what we're finding in our church. Yeah. Is is people are going to go if they want flash, they're going to go where there's flash. But if they want substance, they want fellowship, they want accountability, they want to be holy, they want to be on mission, they find us and they stick. And I'm convinced that's the substance. And I think we're just scratching the surface of actually reaching our city. But that's where it's going to get hard because we're talking about people who no church experience, they have no expectation. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah, we've got to, and we've got to do it in an unabrasive way. Um, yeah. if you, when you're trying to advance the gospel through abrasiveness or combativeness, it's going to be ineffective. Likewise, the other extreme of, you know, this passive approach of let me not share the bad news and let me just kind of sugarcoat it is also ineffective. And I think lately right. too, we've seen people trying to, we're trying to wrap this gospel message in a political bent. And that's going to be ineffective as well because it's, the gospel transcends political bent, transcends right. political party, and it transcends anything that's culture related. Is what we talked about not too long ago. You can't take the word of God and the scriptures and try to mesh it with culture because it's not going to fit. It's going to collide with that, and so you've got to be taking that truth to to the culture and then transcend the culture through the lens of the gospel. And I feel like until we get that as the church, right. as believers, we're going to continue to fail. Yeah, that's right. And, and the crazy thing is there will be people who actually fight against that idea. And what, I, what I've noticed is those are people who have no relationships with any pagans. Yeah. But when you have relationships with people who dwell in darkness, you have to learn how to adapt. Paul did this all through the book of I mean, Paul did this in Acts. Paul does this everywhere he goes. He's able to know the people, get in their world, and communicate clearly the essence of the gospel and invite people to faith. And he does it in such a manner that's respectful. And what's crazy is even in the respect, some believe, some sneer, some persecute, some make fun. And we should expect the same thing. Yes. Just tell the whole truth. We are, we are separated from God because of sin. And that's really bad news. And that's going to result in hell if we don't 
believe in Jesus, but God has made a way. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, come to him, believe in him, and you get all the effects of perfection. He gives you perfection, takes away your sins so that you're a daughter and son of God. And then be part of a local church, which is the gathering of the daughters and sons of God. Right. And then go on the mission that God's given the church to t- share this news to all nations. It's really that simple. It is. Let let the fear of disobedience be greater than yeah. your fear of failure. Amen. That's right. Well, Chris, do you have any last words before we get out of here for the week? I think my last thing is just encouraging people. I know, like I said, it's a heavy topic. Anytime you bring up COVID, there's a lot of heaviness. Right. And so my encouragement to those listening is when you need help, ask for it. When you're struggling, fellowship with others. Get around other believers who care and who will be there for you. Um, and, man, be at church. Be at church. Be around the body. There's a lot of darkness now. So be there receive that and then engage that darkness because of the strength of the light. Good last word, man. Hey, we appreciate you guys listening. It's an absolute joy to come in here and talk about these topics and wrestle around with our perspective, our framework as followers of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy this conversation that we have. We want to invite you to email us any topics you'd like us to talk about. You can do that at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. You can find Theology in the Dirt on Spotify. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on Anchor. You can find it all over the place. If you Google it, you will find it. You can find notes of sermons and all that stuff from our church on theologyinthedirt.com. And you'll find links to this podcast also. We appreciate you listening. You guys have a great rest of your day. Talk to you later. Out.